0: Uh, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into our text today. Uh, We will be in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 19 today. Father God, thank you so much for your ministry to us. Lord, I ask that you would sustain me today, Lord, with my headache and I just pray that you would keep me focused, Lord, and um, help my, my mind to work right. Thank you for each and every person here, Lord, for each and every person, Lord, that is watching live and who may watch this later or hear it through a podcast, Lord, or video or whatever it might be, Lord. Just ask Jesus that you would have your way, that you'd get me out of your way, Lord, and that your word, I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to try and make your word be something. We don't have to add to it. We definitely don't want to take anything out of it. And I thank you that your word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, today as we look at this pivot, Lord, in the life of the new church in Acts, Lord, that you would just minister to us and teach us, Lord, the things that we need to be taught today, Father. Lord, I again lift up the children's ministry that you would be with these kids today, Lord, and that you would teach them, Lord, the things of you. Lord, I thank you that when you speak and teach a human being, Lord, there are things that are eternal. There's things I remember as a child from you, Lord, when I can't even remember what toothpaste to buy. Lord, you're miraculous and, and, and amazing. And Lord, I pray that we would give you the room needed, Lord, in our lives, that you would make a difference in us so that people would see Jesus in us. Lord, we just lift up all the other churches, Father God, that you would just uh, have your way with them, Lord, that you would strengthen and give pastors boldness and teachers of your word and evangelists and preschool teachers and, and just those that, have a, 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 that you've placed in them, Lord, just a desire, Lord, to communicate who you are with the world around them. We pray, Father, that you would just uh, give boldness, Lord. And Lord, I ask that you would just draw people into you, Father God. Lord, if there's anybody that has any ailments, that you would heal them, Lord. And Lord, that you would uh, make a difference in the communities that we live in, Father. Lord, help us to get out of your way, Lord. God, I just confess any sins I've committed knowingly or unknowingly, Lord, I, I thank you that when we have bad days, we can talk to you about those things. Lord, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you just want us to talk to you, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that our relationship with you would be experiential, Lord, that it wouldn't just be on a Sunday, that it would be every day of our lives, Lord. Just praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week was interesting, um, was able to help a brother and his son, brother in the Lord. They were out riding on the trails out here off country club and his son wasn't paying attention and... They were on four-wheelers and his son fell off the embankment. And the women were here, women study on Friday. And I get this text. We have a group messaging system for our staff here. And hey, da-da-da-da-da, it's like there's a four-wheeler in the river and needs help. And here I am like with my kids and studying at the same time. And I'm like, okay, I I guess we're going to go help somebody figure out how to get a four-wheeler up a 70-foot embankment. And they'd been there for hours with toe straps trying to get out. Luckily, nobody was hurt and anything. And and, uh, it was just, it's interesting how we can be traveling in life, doing something, all of a sudden, whoop, off the cliff we go. And the body of Christ needs to be there to help. You know, uh, Christianity isn't just about us attending a church and then going home and having lunch and then going to work and that's it. God's gifted us and built us up to be able to be used for people in their lives, and and uh, it was muddy and it was dark. And Elisha came from Live Oak, and uh, him and I hopped in my Jeep, and I had a cheap come-along ratchet system, and we pulled this, you know, small four-wheeler up, and uh, definitely not the adventure that my friend was planning that day. <laughs> Or his son but man I was so blessed his son was okay and it's just amazing that the Lord had his hand on them you know it could have been worse and uh I mean the four-wheeler actually went into the river and uh and they pulled it up and and then the the ratchet straps broke and it slid back down and so they were hours trying to get it out before we came and then when we got there the gate was locked and the sheriffs had to come out and it was just a big ordeal But uh, I got to do donuts with my Jeep Cherokee out there though in the mud, so that was fun. Yeah. So, oh yeah, we're here for the Bible. Okay, cool. So let's go ahead and get into Acts chapter 12, verse one through 19, and uh, then we'll break it apart and see what the Lord wants to teach us. Verse one, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer... I want you guys to think about this. Keep that in your forefront of your mind. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, being Peter, And a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And Peter had come to himself. He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. Keep this in mind again, praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, Because of her gladness, she did not even open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is an angel. It's his angel. When Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them now, I'm sorry, he, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James, to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and, and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Quite fascinating what went on. Uh, this is just we, we've watched the church go from um mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. We've watched the Holy Spirit come upon the apostles, the the, the 150 and at Pentecost and people get saved, and then we watched that Saul's conversion happened. Um, we, we watched how the, the Lord um, presented the gospel through um, the people that were scattered to uh, Antioch and that the Lord was growing the church in Antioch, which was a Gentile community. Uh, prior to that, we saw that um, Cornelius's house had been ministered to. All of his friends became saved and baptized. And so we've seen all throughout chapter one through 11, this amazing work of the Holy Spirit growing his church in leaps and bounds. And then we get to the first verse uh, one and two of Acts 12 and the whole situation is different. We see here again how Satan rears his ugly head and uses mankind to try and destroy the work of Christ. This, 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 this King Herod, um, he came from an evil family. It's pretty interesting how the Lord allows this to happen with James. And yet he saves Peter. Why would God allow this? So we see a couple of different things here in this text that I'd like to point out. Um, like I had mentioned, there had been great advancements in the church, and then chapter 12 opens up with the death of the Apostle James. So this, this evil man, Herod Agrippa I, um, he was the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who had ordered the Bethlehem children to be murdered. Uh, he was the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded. This was a treacherous and murderous family. The Herods were despised by the Jews. They resented having, being under their rule. But of course, Herod Agrippa knew that they despised him. And so he persecuted the Christian church to the convenience of the Jews so that he could prove his loyalty to them and that he had this loyalty for the traditions of the Jewish fathers. So him killing James was a political plot to gain agreement and gain favor from the Jews. And when I say Jews, I mean the Jewish leaders, the Jews that were not Christians. You have to remember that There's still this separation in the New Testament that that the Jewish people as a whole were still looking, and were still, there was still a large group of Jews that disbelieved that Jesus was the Messiah. And so there's still this political grab, this this anything that had to do with with Jesus, this 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 powerful group wanted to destroy Jesus anything having to do with Christ. We read about his crucifixion where you have them, you know, it, it, it's customary to release a prisoner and, and they get into this massive upheaval screaming, release Barabbas who was a known murderer and crucified Jesus. And that same attitude is all throughout the New Testament pertaining to the Jewish sect of believers. I mean, the, the, the Jewish leaders at the time. And so Agrippa knew that he he wanted to have approval of this group, even though they didn't like him. And so he knew that they didn't like anything having, having to do with Jesus. And so the church had been this massive growth of Christianity. And also we see now that it had gone from Christian Jews to Christian Gentiles now, and the Jews even despise the Gentiles even more. So Herod's plan was even more agreeable to these Jews because there was no acceptance of pagans, AKA non-Jewish people. So he began an attempt to destroy the church by wiping out the church's leadership. If you ever want to destroy something, you go for its leaders. You take them out and the people will flee. you know i i i hate to say this but and 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 don't get me wrong i i know that things that you know we deal with in this life and in this season right now with this this man-made thing called covid but the church has been affected by it and we live in a realm where what we see It's physical, but yet God's word tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And pastors have closed their churches all in the name of safety. But there's nothing safe about being a Christian. Jesus never said that we're to be safe as Christians, ever. It's not in the Bible. Trials and tribulations, we'll read about that. So thinking about how King Herod was and he wanted to destroy the church, there's an undermining demonic realm that is at hand right now. Taking what is good and making it evil and what is evil making it good. And the generation that's being affected is the youth group that comes here on Thursdays. Cuz see us adults we've already gone into our our habits. You know, and the enemy, and I'm not trying to give Satan any foothold that he doesn't already have or any power that he doesn't have, but as a church, it's important as Christians to recognize how we need to be praying and what's at hand. And I have family, you know, that they haven't gone to church for a long, 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 long time. You know, and I, I think sometimes we trade our personal safety for what God's called us to live for. And I'm not trying to be cavalier at all. I, I mean, I have a daughter who is type one diabetic. I mean, I live in the, in the realm of concern for medical safety. It's my life. But my heart just goes out for the community and the body. And I see, I see this, if we take and we look at what, what, what Acts 12, 1 through 19 is, and we can either take the word of God and, and apply it to our life, or we can just read it as if it's a fictitious novel and throw it away. And see, the word tells us that this is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the communities around us need to know that the Bible is applicable, every part of it, in our lives. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the church is persecuted in America because it's not really the way it is in other countries. But there's an undertone that's happening. We need to be praying. And we see here how Herod, this. Herod, the this king, Herod Agrippa, he 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 killed James so that the public would approve of him. We can see that, you know, in our local governments even now, that things are being done for approval. They're not being done out of ethics. And so I see this mimicking of like what's happened in Acts and what's happening in our world, but yet in the, mixed, in the middle of all of that, our God is greater. Our God is more powerful. He is able to save. He's able to restore. He's able to move people. He's able to move angels to heal people. He's able to move angels to, 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 to take people and minister to them. He's able to change people's lives in such a great way. And church, I pray that you're not focused on what is temporal. Because when we all die one day, whether we have Jesus in our heart or not, we're gonna stand before the true and living God and give account to what we've done here while we're here. Some of us will go into heaven And we'll be with Jesus for eternity and we'll be in his glory and we'll have a glorified body and we'll see everybody that we've ever ministered to and everybody that we've ever come in contact with that knows the Lord and we will know each other because his body that I'm in now will be in its perfect state. And then there'll be people who we've talked to all day long and we've shared the gospel with and, and those people have willfully denied Jesus and they'll be separated for eternity from God. And that's a really scary thing. I would rather be more fearful of of being condemned from God's love and grace and mercy for eternity than being sick with something and dying. We're all gonna die one day. And this group of people was so passionate about things that even when James was murdered and Peter was put into prison, what did this church do? Did they complain about their circumstances? Did they take an offering to try and buy things out? Did they try and make things more great so that it could be more approved by people? No, they prayed. They sought the true and living God. They knew that Jesus was the only way that they could make it through things, that the relationship they had with the true and living God was the only thing that would carry them through their circumstances. So who is James? Matthew chapter four, verse 21 through 22 states this. We're gonna learn a a little bit about James and we're gonna learn a little bit about what Jesus said to James and John's mother too. Matthew four, 21 through 22. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and the son of James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. When God calls us to do something, we are to drop everything and follow him because we're to trust him. We need to trust the the leading of the Lord in our lives. My life verse is that it's in Matthew. It says, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The, The burden upon building in us the ability to be able to do ministry in the context of our lives, that burden is upon Jesus. He calls us to follow him and he will build inside of us something that we are incapable of doing. And the same thing here in this, in Acts 12, one through 19, the Lord built into these people something I don't think that they normally would have been doing. Matthew 20, verse 22 through 23, we see what James spoke to. uh, Let me give some context here. Oh, good. I put the verse here. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. So you see the sons of thunder, which is James and John, that was their nickname. And their mother comes with them and, and goes to Jesus and they kneel down. And 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 he says to her, what do you wish? I love that. Jesus is like, what do you wish? He's always welcoming us to communicate with him. And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Wow. What audacity this mom had to go before God and say, hey, my sons are better than anybody else. Can they sit on your right and left? Can they have a royal place in your kingdom in heaven? I love it. Jesus' answer is great. He didn't tell her to just be quiet and shove her away. He actually spoke into their lives. And believe it or not, we're going to read here in a second where Jesus prophesied about James's death and what would happen to John. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink, speaking of his suffering, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we're able. (laughs) Love that when we answer to God, we don't really know sometimes what we're actually answering to. Thank the Lord that he understands all things and he answers out of his grace and mercy and love. So Jesus said, or "I'm sorry." See, so Jesus said to them, "You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father." I love that Jesus always refers to the Father's will in people's lives, right? He followed what the father had told him to do. But it's fascinating here that he does say that you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And so he was speaking about James being martyred and John was at the island of Patmos. So John was sent away One of the early church fathers, is also interesting that I found out this, that one of the early church fathers tells us that the man that had accused James repented when he saw the apostles' extraordinary courage standing without fear. This man fell at his feet and asked forgiveness, professed his desire to be a Christian. He was determined that James should not die alone. Supposedly, James reportedly said to him, peace be with thee and kissed him. Say so they were both beheaded at the same time. Are our lives such a representation of Jesus that if we were to die for Christ, would somebody want to join us? I don't think mine is all the time. I'm always wrapped up in what I can do for myself. There's many, many, many testimonies of martyrs at their death that God used miraculously to change people's lives. If you don't have, if you've never seen the book of the martyrs, there's a couple of copies of it out. Um, Toby Max Group, I forgot the name of the band. They came out one, without, came, came, they made one a while back, but Voice of the Martyrs. There's a website also, but there's a book about it. And you can read through the historical things that have gone on with Christians and what they have withstood because of Jesus. man. Church, it's time to get up and be real and look at the horizon and look at the landscape and look at the world of what's going on and look at Israel and see what's going on in the Middle East and have our eyes open by the Lord and by the reality of this, the, the trajectory of our world, it's hurling faster and faster and faster to a place of where Jesus is coming back soon. When Jesus ascended the heaven, we 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 entered into the end times. When Christ comes back, we don't know when. The last days, when Jesus entered the heaven, became the last days. So we're waiting for His return. Verse four. So we see that <clears throat> Peter was arrested; he was imprisoned. Um, He had this four squads of soldiers to keep him. Um, Herod was intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So the intention for Herod was to make a public martyr of Peter. See, Peter was the leader of the church at that time. So it's important to understand too that a squad would have been four soldiers So a squad would have had four soldiers in it. So a total of 16 soldiers were guarding Peter at any given time while he was in prison. Gosh, he must have been a bad dude. That's a lot of soldiers. Verse five, we see that he was kept in prison. But what happened? But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. We're told to pray without ceasing in God's word. These people knew it. They knew where their strength would come from. They knew where their answers needed to come from. And the same as today for us, our answers need to come from the Lord. And we're called to talk to him. Prayer simple. Lord, help, amen. Lord, will you, do, will you help me? it's the same talking with your spouse or your best friend or or whatever. God can even handle you yelling at him at the top of your lungs. He ain't going to freak out. He's not in heaven wringing his hands going, what am I going to do with Brian? I don't know. I've never seen this kind of idiot before. Insert your own name. I'm calling myself an idiot, not you. But if we look at even the people that Jesus took and said, I'm gonna put in you what the world needs to see of me after I go to heaven. And every single person that God chose, I never would have chosen any of them. But see, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Think about this church. They prayed continually for Peter. This makes me wonder, what's my prayer life like? What's your prayer life like? We opened up Sunday nights for prayer. Come and pray with us, please. Without prayer, nothing happens. This church plant was prayed for 10 years ago by somebody that didn't even know that we were gonna do this. There's people all over the world that are praying for certain things and God continues to answer those prayers. I might even be bold enough to say that a church that doesn't pray doesn't believe in the power that God actually has to save us from hell. I'm not trying to be heavy handed here, but I look at the context here and these people had just experienced somebody being murdered and then their leader being put into prison with the intentions to kill him as well. They weren't putting memes out. They were praying. We need to be a praying church. We need to be praying Christians. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, says this, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for whatever. Thank, God, thank you for my shoes. Thank you. I come to this place and I look and I... I Thank you, Lord, for this. I'm at home and I see my kids. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my wife that she puts up with me. Thank you. We need to be thankful. Thank Thank you, Lord, that I have a toothbrush. I'm not kidding, you guys. We're in a country that is so spoiled that the thankfulness that God actually provides for something, we've lost sight that it's actually him that has blessed us with all things and not ourselves. It's God that gives us the opportunity for these things. It's like Paul said, he recognized that even, even with his, his pedigree of knowledge and understanding of the Lord and everything, and, and, and that he was a, a, this well-known person and that all the things that he had, and he still looked at himself and said, Lord, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's this attitude about himself was like, I am undone without God. We need to have a healthy outlook on what the Lord actually is like for us. And we've lived in a society that has been hell bent literally to remove that from all areas of our lives. Families are no longer families. Marriage is no longer marriage. Men are no longer men. Women are no longer men. Mr. Potato Head isn't even Mr. Potato Head. Dr. Seuss isn't even good to know, but then you watch things on TV and it's so sexually immoral. And we have generation after generation after generation after generation. And if you think about it, 40 years ago, I'm sure we started being fed consumerism within the church. And a large ship, it takes forever to move it because the rudder's so slow and the ship is moving so far away from the church as human society is. But yet we are poised right now, I really believe this, for an outbreaking of the Holy Spirit amongst the church. And the church needs to get out of the way of God. And I look at verse five here, man, and these people were in constant prayer. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, it tells us that we were to pray without stopping, continually be praying. And in everything, in everything of our lives, we're to give thanks to God because he should have the glory and the honor for our life. And, 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 and then we, you know, we ask, well, what's the will of God for our life? Well, the scripture here in Thessalonians tells us, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me that we should pray without ceasing and give God thanks for all things always. And that's what this church was doing. So here we have verse six and seven, we have Herod, he's he's about to bring Peter out, right? And Peter was asleep. He's in chains. Why in the world would somebody who knew that they were gonna be martyred be asleep? That doesn't make any sense to me. Who was asleep when there was a huge storm in a boat? Jesus. I always make a joke when I teach it to the youth that he was snoring on a pillow. He was so calm because he knew what was going on. He had authority. Peter knew who had authority in his life. Peter was asleep because it didn't matter to him. His life was Christ's. The cares of even being locked up I don't think Peter, Peter did not know what was gonna be happening to him with this angel because Peter was dumbfounded that it was, he didn't even know what was happening until the angel and him had walked out the street. But he was asleep because he had peace about the situation. He was committed to trusting God in the midst of this situation. He was so fast asleep that the angel had to poke him in the side to wake him up. And then this angel says, arise quickly. And these chains, they just fall off. I love that. When God comes into our lives, excuse me. God is able to remove the chains of bondage in our lives. See, as Christians, we can't be possessed by satanic things, but we can be in bondage because of sinful acts that we do. And we can feel like we're, being bombarded mentally like this. I'll be honest with you guys. This last week was horrible for me. Gina and I couldn't communicate well. Um, and, you know, and I had thoughts of just like, you know, why am I even doing any of this? I just want to quit. Forget all this. And see what the enemy wants, he wants to put pressure on us in such an evil way. And he knows how to incite our insecurities and cause us to focus on, like for a whole week, it's like my wife and I were just, Ugh. I couldn't study. And when I'm off with my wife, cause she's my best friend and it just really affects me emotionally. And if I'm frustrated that way, I can't look at the word and go, oh yeah, praise the Lord. I'm gonna just focus on the Holy Spirit and and read the word and it's gonna be great. Okay, whatever, Gina. Anyways, God, you know. I mean, it's just, that's not a reality for me. But yet there was this breakthrough on Saturday yesterday. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And so there's this spiritual thing that happens in our lives where all things in our life become so important that it removes our ability to focus on the Lord. And Peter was fast asleep. He was focused on the Lord. He knew his God was able in life or death to protect him. And his chains fall off. So the angel said to him, gird yourself. I love that. When that man, they wore tunics then. So it's like, gird yourself. In other words, take it. Tuck it into your belt. Be ready. You're going to run. Whenever a warrior would go and fight, they would tuck their tunic in. It would, they ha, you, know, you can't run with your tunic down. It gets in the way. So the angel's like, put it, put things in place so that you can get out of here appropriately. I love that. Tie on your sandals. So this is all happening. Here's these guards chained to Peter. The chains fall off and and. And this angel's having a conversation with him. And Peter's in a daze. He doesn't really know that this is really happening. He's, he's just okay. And so he's tying his sandals on. I mean, Peter was so relaxed, he kicked his shoes off. So he went and he followed him. Verse nine, did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So they're walking through this prison and they're past the first and second guard posts. So Peter's walking by these guards. Did you know that God can blind people? For his glory? Was it you that were telling me about that, Angelina? About in Germany with Bibles? Yeah. In a van and it was opened. Was it ever looked at? But they looked in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I almost would think that these guards are awake. They're Roman guards. If they fall asleep, if they, I mean, look what happened at the end of this context. Herod killed them. They if you messed up as a Roman guard, you're dead. There wasn't, all, oh, you know, we'll put you in the brink or, you know, we'll, you'll get a dishonorable, you know, misconduct and discharge or whatever. You were just dead and they knew it. And so these guards weren't asleep. The Lord blinded them. And, and Peter, they're walking through all the different gates. The first gate, the second guard post, the first guard post. They come to an iron gate then that leads out to the city. So I imagine like Peter's just walking with this angel through the prison walls and everything. And okay, well, we're just going. Amazing. But I don't want you to lose sight of what was entwined with this. The constant prayer that was offered to God for him by the church. And then we see in verse 12, the angel who had set Peter free. I'm sorry, verse 11, Peter came to himself and he said, now for certain. So he comes like, in other words, he's like, oh, okay, the angel's gone. So he's just standing there by himself. Okay, well, I'm outside the prison. So everything that I just experienced must have been the Lord because, and this angel must have been real. So then he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark. And what what do we see in verse 12? They were gathered together praying. So I love this. The Holy Spirit gives us an account. Prayer must be really important for a church. I'm not trying to sound cynical, you guys. I apologize, but man, join us on Sunday nights. (laughs) Everything else in your life will be more important than prayer. Go anyways. So the angel who set Peter free, right? We see this angel who set Peter free, but it was the prayers of the church that sent the angels to set Peter free. Our prayers aren't just dead voices to God. Have I... Told you guys the account of my sister when she was in China and she was smuggling Bibles. They would take Bibles, put them in suitcases and take them across the, the borders where you know, the, the Bible was illegal. And I was with my cousin. I was up in Redding with him. This is a long time ago before I was married. And we're coming down 80 or I-5, whatever it is. And if you hang out with me, I'll just sometimes randomly start praying kind of weird when I was doing youth ministry, the students thought I was weird. I said, can I just pray? And they're like, why? I'm like, okay, we're just going to pray. So I'm traveling with my cousin. We're coming home from a friend's house. It was at nighttime. And I'm like, I just start praying. I was just praying for whatever. And then I started praying for my sister. And I started praying specifically for her while she's in China on this missions trip. And then weeks later, she comes back and we start talking. And she says, you know, it's interesting. I said, yeah, I was praying for you with my cousin Dustin while we we're going down the hill. And, and, she, and she said, what day was that? I told her the day and the time. She goes, that's interesting. We had a group that was at the border and I was the only person that got through with Bibles. See, prayer transcends languages, distances, countries um this is in my notes later on but i'll say it now you know one thing that we pray for on sunday nights is the persecuted church there are those that are in prison now that are martyred still to this day for their belief i mean egypt was horrible a couple years ago um there's a radical muslim regime that if they know you're a christian you will you will not live that's in the world today And so it's important that we pray for the persecuted church as well. And so we see this example here, how this church, they were praying for Peter to get out. They, they, Lord, will you save Peter? God answered their prayers. And so then we see 13 through 15, Peter's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the gate and and Rhoda comes and answers and she doesn't even open it because she hears his voice and she's freaking out, screaming. Peter's at the door and they're praying. Shh, we're praying. You're seeing an angel. You you you're out of your mind. No, no, no. That's it's his angel. It's not him. See, they had already thought, you know, hey, th- th- this what th- that's not happening. We're he, we're still praying. It must have been his angel. But every mo- but at that very moment Peter stood outside the gate. And every moment that he stood out there, he was at greater risk of being seen by somebody funny she she was so excited that she heard peter's voice that she forgot to open the door it's amazing so peter continues to knock and they opened the door and they saw that he was there and they were astonished and peter motioned them, shh keep silent so they must have all been in an uproar i'm sure you heard it from blocks away it's like a big party all of a sudden be quiet they didn't have insulation back then you know they had probably dirt stones that they built in the walls. What an amazing testimony. So they were astonished. Peter's standing there before him, And then he tells them, that, and this is important to know. So he tells him, go tell James these things and, and the brethren. So it's important to know that this isn't the James that was martyred. Um, most likely this was James who was the half-brother of Jesus. So then we see in 18 and 19, Herod must've been ticked. And I'm sure it says that there was a stirring amongst the guards, amongst the soldiers. They must've been freaking out. You know, Did you let Peter out? Did you, did you? Billy, why are you drinking on the job again? Who knows what they said? I'm, I'm totally embellishing, but I mean, you know, I mean, just that whole situation, they knew they were gonna have to answer for what happened. They knew what was going to happen to them. So we see that Herod had put them to death and then he went down from Judea and Caesarea and stayed there. So God allowed Herod to kill James, but he kept Herod from harming Peter. See, it's important to know that it's the throne in heaven that's in control, not the throne on earth. Warren Wearsby wrote that. Why would God allow James to die and Peter to live? We will ask these types of questions, especially when we have trials in our own lives. See, we need to trust God that he is in control and all that happens in our lives is part of his sovereign will. It is all for his glory. There's questions that we'll have and we'll never be able to answer. Why does God allow things? I don't know, I'm not God. It's important that we don't try and humanize God when things like this happen. Um and it and and, and I'm not saying oh yeah everything's happy go lucky and you know you're a good Christian if you could just trust the Lord and let it all fall off like a you know water off a duck's back. No. We're human. I don't think God says, "Hey, just because you're a Christian, get rid of all of your thinking and the emotions I gave you." But we can be that way and still trust the Lord. You're like, well, you said don't humanize God, but then you said you're human. What are you saying, Brian? In other words, Isaiah 55, eight through nine says this. I love this, a prophet stating, God speaking for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. In my thoughts than your thoughts. This right here, says, okay, God, it's where we take our hands and we just go, Lord, you know, I don't, my mind can't put these things together, but you know, Lord. Sometimes that needs to be our prayer. Lord, I, I'm struggling, but you know, will you help? Like my prayer this week, Lord, help me. That's all I say, help me, please. I need God's help 24-7, because I live in this horrible body that has a brain that's broken. I might venture to say you guys might feel the same way sometimes because you're human too. And we're in desperate need of a savior and we are desperately need to know that he is in control and that his thoughts aren't our thoughts. See, in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 19, I really was like nervous about going through this, taking this section of scripture into this realm or this direction because I'm like, "Lord, am I going to have a big trial in my life?" I don't want to preach this. I remember listening to some of my college courses and the the the, the pastor professor would saying he would read this scripture and says, "Okay, everybody say amen." amen. Nobody would say amen cuz it's about trials in their lives. It's we don't we don't look at those things about James 1:20 1, 122 through 4. Anyways, I'm going to read John 15:18 through 19. If the world hates you, hmm, that sounds interesting. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's interesting. We don't always think in those contexts, but the world hates Jesus, hates him. And if we're Christ followers, then they'll hate us too. We're to be of the world, but not part of the world, not in the world. And in, in other words, if, the, if people who aren't Christians look at us, they should see something different in us. We shouldn't mimic them. They should ask us, why are you different? I had somebody ask that once when I used to sell jewelry. I sold jewelry a long time ago. I always say another life. Um, and uh, the manager there said, how come you don't cuss? Like, and... No, he didn't say because. He said, how come you're so happy-go-lucky? Like, just he, he was just recognizing that I wasn't, I, there was peace, I guess, in my life at the time, you know? And that was the Lord. That's the only time that somebody's done that before with me. Um, James chapter one, verse two through four says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's such a hard thing to digest, but we're to count it joy, and here's why. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces What? Patience, people say, don't pay for patience. Well, God's gonna build patience inside of you because he knows that you need it as a human being. Knowing that the testing of your faith, what the testing of what your faith? I have to believe that this whole scenario in Acts was a testing of these people's faith. Verse four, I love this, writer of James, and it wasn't a James that was martyred. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, there's this practical thing that God's doing inside of all of us to add to us, things that we can't add to us to complete us so that we're lacking nothing. So that we're lacking nothing as it pertains to our spiritual walk and Christian walk and godly walk. Those may be the same things with Christ. I love that. I love that he's adding to that. If we were just left with Brian, 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 count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Sorry, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. If it was just left like that, I'd be like, uh, okay. I love how the word, he tells us one thing, but then he gives us the reasoning for it and we can take that and go, okay, Lord, I need that inside. Lacking nothing. God sees all things in your life. Remember Isaiah his thoughts are not your thoughts his ways are not your ways Jesus speaking on the sermon on the mount he says this Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 through 12 blessed are those who persecute who are persecuted for righteousness sake what for theirs is the kingdom of heaven think of Stephen when he was martyred he saw Jesus sitting on his throne Verse 11, blessed are you when they revel and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So if somebody's persecuting us, if the church is being persecuted in any way, shape, or form, praise God, that means we're doing something right, and the enemy hates us and wants to destroy us. A church or a Christian that's being left alone and isn't facing any trials in their life, then I would be safe to say maybe they're not really walking with God, and they look more like the world than they do like a Christian, and the enemy doesn't want to have anything to do with them because he doesn't need to do anything with them because he's useless. An enemy only goes after something where it feels that there's a threat. And I watch how we, we felt as a church to, to launch this youth ministry when hardly anybody attends here really that has any teenagers at all. And so in the grand scheme of planning an organization for church, you'd say, well, that's stupid. Why would you do that? There's nobody in your congregation that has any teenagers that you know of but yet it was on my heart. The Lord is like, hey, these kids need something. And and we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we're able to take a step of faith. Faith without works is dead. If we're not stepping out in faith, then maybe we don't have enough relationship with God to actually have any works in our lives that show that we have faith in God. And this isn't speaking about a preacher doing this. This is, this is a requirement as Christians. If you read all through this, con, people came to know the Lord in droves, because they looked like this guy who the historian wrote about the, the, the guy who uh, w- decided to come to know the, the Lord in the middle of James's martyr. what is that? Something drastic was happening in these men and women's lives where people wanted what they had even while they were dying. Man, God forgive us. I think we're so far off sometimes from what the Lord really has asked us to be and really not asked us to be in our strength, but asked us to follow him in his strength to do. Blessed are you when you fall when, when they revel and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you know, some of you in this room, you're like, Brian, I, I'm doing what you're saying. I'm following the Lord. Uh, my life is this, praise the Lord. But I read this text, I'm like, man, are we, am I living this way? Or am I so caught up in everything else? Am I praying this way? Do I trust the Lord this way? Am I, it, do I take everything with joy and, and, and am I grateful? Or am I grumbling and complaining? I have to say, I grumble and complain a lot. And it's horrible. I need the Lord's help all the time. And my wife, man, we had some choice words on Friday and saturday and like yesterday she's like Brian I've been praying for you all day and it was just like thank you you know and it's amazing when the lord allows his grace and mercy to be seen in us as human beings and i don't i don't always deserve that from her and thank you Gina for loving me. She's back there trying not to cry. See, we're a small church, we can be open, I guess. I don't know, if we had a church of 5,000, I'd probably see the same thing. Okay, put a spotlight on my wife way over there. (laughs) I've always been that way. It was odd for me to wear ties and sell real estate and jewelry. I don't know how I was ever doing that. I was told once that, could you imagine Brian on the golf course? you'd get kicked off because I'd be too loud and out of bounds in my attitude. I don't know. So Romans chapter eight, verse 31 through 39, I want to leave us with this and with Hebrews thirteen three, and it's very important because we've kind of spoken about some heavy duty things. And this Romans eight, man, if my, I was told by my dad, read six, seven, and eight. Eight's a great chapter, but six, seven, and eight's a great consecu- consecutiveness of chapters together. But we're going to read Romans eight thirty one through 39, and let's receive this as actually who we are and what God has given us. It says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to think about that. When it says God, it's not, oh, you know, I got this attitude of God because I've gone to church so much. This is the God of the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence, who holds all of our lives in his hands, who actually gives breath to human beings. And it states here, the totality of God is for us If he is for us, the question is, then no one's going to be against you. That's how it's stated. 32, and we're going a little over, I'm sorry. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, who's going to really bring something against you that's really going to do anything against you? If your life is written in eternity and you're going to be in heaven one day, then really what is really so bad about things that go on in life, except that we're trying to process things through our human nature and not really look at how God looks at us and the character that God gives us by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word. And we see this, how shall any charge come against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, he has the final say. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore has also risen. So in other words, the condemnation of mankind to be separated from God for eternity that started in Garden of Eden. And we see Proto-Evangelium that's in there in the chapter three of Genesis when Jesus was gonna stomp the head of Satan. And we see this here. Who shall... Who who is he who condemns us? In other words, God's the only one who can justify. He's the only one who can condemn. In fact, in John it says, if you don't believe in Jesus' paraphrase, it, you stand condemned already. It's the disbelief that brings condemnation. It's not God. Hell's not destined for human beings. It's there for Satan and all of his demons. But you know what? Because he's a just God. If you don't believe in Jesus, then unfortunately you're gonna be separated from him because he's gonna give all of us every opportunity we possibly could have while we still live here on earth because he wills no one to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so we could take this verse 34 through 39, Romans 8, 31 through 39, and we can grab this and take ownership of it and say, yes, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen so, in other words, it's not just his death, it's his resurrection. Who is even at the right hand of God, and it speaks of his ascension, who also makes intercession for us. So, he, only, he not only took the sting of death away, he not only died, he also rose. So, it satisfied all prophecies of him being the actual Messiah, conquering death and sin. And then he's at the right hand of God. So, he's at the royal strength position in a kingdom. And then he's interceding for us. So he's praying for us. So he's personally talking to God. He's praying for us personally. This is who our God is. And I love this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, I love this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, more than conquerors. And this is something that the Lord gives us, not something that we can do ourselves. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I was reading this, this just came to mind, I challenge you, and I need to do this myself, in line at a grocery store, say, hey, can I read something to you? And read this to somebody and watch. Majority of people don't know that this is who God is and what his word says about them. Could you imagine if people heard this? I I remember one time when I was working at Yuba College and I was doing groundskeeping and there was a, a young guy that I was working with and I just started reading Genesis to him and he'd never heard it in his life. He never heard Genesis about how the world was made, ever. he didn't gone to Catholic church all his life. I said, anybody ever read this to you before? He goes, nope, I've never heard this in my life. You never know what God's gonna do if you take a step of faith. So again, let's remember to pray for those that are in prison today for their faith, the persecuted church. Yeah? Canada has a pastor that's actually locked up. Hebrews 13.3 says this, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Come tonight. Pray with us. Eric couldn't make it. We put him on speakerphone, man. I was like, this is dumb. How's this gonna do anything? I'm awkward putting him on a chair here where it's all nice and dark. Eric started praying. There was just like, it was like Eric was here. Didn't matter if he's here. You know, God wants to use us in prayer. What a radical thing the Lord did in the early church and we'll continue Herod's Herod's demise came about. He was so arrogant. God wiped him out. We'll read about that later. We'll continue in this saga of how God uses regular people to further his church, and he's doing it today, and he wants to do that through all of you here, so let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, and for your love, and your grace, and just the grace that these people have to stay here, Lord, a few minutes are over, Lord, and um, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord, and um, you're just good to us, God. And even when there's trials and temptation and frustration and uncertainties, Lord, we're to call upon you and talk with you. And even if it's just God help. And I really believe, Lord, that if we have a a, a relationship with you, the true and living God, that if you dwell inside of us by the power of your Holy Spirit and regenerated us, Lord, that I don't think you need much more from us, Lord. Is help, Lord. And Father, I just pray for each and every person here right now, Lord. Myself included, will you help us, God? Will you help us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Lord, I pray for our families, those that don't know you. Will you help us to pray? Remember to pray for them, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray for marriages, Lord. I know some have been difficult lately and i just ask god that you would just do a miracle i pray for restoration of relationships god lord help us when we're bitter and critical and help us we need your help lord as human beings just pray that you would protect us lord in a way that would glorify you thank you for the children's here children that are here and those that have stepped up to serve the children in this ministry. And we just pray for their lives, Lord, that you would speak their name audibly, Lord, even in their hearts and minds, God, that you would raise them up to be mighty warriors for you in a world that I can't even imagine how much against Jesus it's gonna be in 20 years from now if you don't come back by then. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to, to grow us, Lord, and, and that you would grow the youth ministry here, Lord. And uh, just thank you so much for what you're doing, Father God. Thank you for the season that we're in and we have a place to celebrate Easter publicly. I just pray, Lord, that you would have your way, Lord. Um, Thank you for everybody here online or in person. That you love them so much, God. Just be with them, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.